Is anybody up? Can anybody hear me? Yep. Hi. Good, good, mor good morning. morning. I'm like sitting here alone. I'm like, maybe other people are actually have audio. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, yay. I'm just letting people in. Anybody read the book? Just finished yesterday. Nice. It's pretty fast to read. It's a little, there's like, it's kind of redundant. <laughs> it has one main point. Hey, Amy. Good morning. <clears throat> I was going to fix my hair, but I was like, we're talking about like body stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the judge-free zone because of lost the on me. <laughs> topic of the book. Where did this book come from? How did we pick this book? It was um, one of the suggestions, one of the very expensive threads that we've had. <laughs> it was a couple months ago when, when we um, posted about having um, like ideas for the, the next book club. And the thing is, is that um, uh, the, the update had not come out, so we decided to push it to follow up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, this one just came out. I hadn't read it before. I don't know what the update was about. Um, I thought it was good. I, I had heard about this book from a nurse friend of mine, and she knows the work that I do with the podcast, and she's like, you need to read this book. It's right up your alley. So that's how I had heard about it, probably, like, around the first of the year. And then I went to go buy it once and it was like literally sold out. So it was probably like they ran out of them and that's where the second edition was coming in. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was interesting because I wasn't sure what to make of the book. Um, you know, I know Corinne Crabtree had uh, posted it and was talking about how, you know, like our concept of our body, which is of course is important because uh, it leads to all those self-sabotaging things that we do. But it, it was of course so much more than that too, you know, really addresses the whole I, concept of what we think about ourselves, what we think about other people, um, you know, how we interact with the world and, you know, disabledism and racism and all those things. I thought it was pretty fascinating. I thought, yeah, I thought it was super interesting how she took, she took all the isms and made it all about bodies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's kind of simplifies everything. Yeah, it, it, um, I don't know if any of you guys have read the um, Between the World and Me. I forgot his, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, it was about racism, but the first half of the book, he addresses it, you know, a, a assaults against his body, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah, if we all, I mean, if you break it down to like all of us just being the spirits and the body that we inhabit, it is really all about just body discrimination. Mm -hmm. And then we just have subsets. I, I had never thought about it like that before. I thought it was pretty mm -hmm. amazing. Looking. Anyone else want to pipe up on the thoughts? And it's okay if you didn't read the book. I mean, isn't that what book clubs are about? You just kind of come to join like-minded people. <laughs> but Amy and I have to find more to talk about though with the book. No, bring, bring up a different topic. Yeah, I mostly just, as I went along, I kind of posted things on the, the thread because, you know, it took so much more away than just the, the body aspect of it. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting that like, it kind of dovetails with the, the last book that we had, uh, where like the industrial complex is against us too. You know, the, the last book was talking about alcoholism, about how, you know, the companies that want to want to make money off of us, you know, manipulate us into um, believing certain aspects and um, that will support us buying their products. And this is, of course, the very the beginning of it was the same thing as how the, the I forgot what you call the beauty industry complex or something like that, how it all manipulates it, us into getting this or that. And I've, I've fallen for it for sure. Yeah, like multi-billion dollars. Yeah. Well, she said you have to be careful. We can't like, you know, immediately put aside or, or put an end to it because we would collapse the worldwide economy. <laughs> Become radical slowly, please, <laughs> while we diversify our portfolio. <laughs> Just diversify our portfolio when we talk about it. I don't know, like to me, the, the term radical and like why the, this idea is so radical, I think was very interesting because my gut reaction is like, I don't want to be a radical. I don't want to, you know, whatever radical means. I think radical to me means like my hippie mom, right? And I'm like, 
I guess I'm turning more and more into my mom. Because what I, you know, my topic of medicine is already radical. Like me saying like women should have equal sexual function to men is at its core kind of radical because it's not what our society says, right? And so this whole concept of like, what's it mean to be a radical or, you know, that word and kind of try to actually embrace it more than just be like going along with the river of life. Mm -hmm. Now, was this set up as a webinar? Do you think that we could like, um, like undo people's video if they're up for it? I know that we don't have the same anonymity as um, the, uh, uh, the group coaching and such. No, this is this is not a webinar. This is just okay. a Zoom meeting. So people can come on if they want or got it. So I'm embarrassed because I didn't read the book. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm okay. going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And I didn't get to it. So I'm like, oh, don't be so embarrassed. I'm on and, and admit it. I have the book. I bought it in audio format because that's the only way I know I'll get through it. I just didn't have it. You can be the radical for not reading the book. I do. But I, I did share. not read this in one setting. And in fact, I still have probably about 15 pages to go. <laughs> I feel better now. Yeah, it's oh pretty, no. It's pretty fast. It's not, I mean, it's like, it's almost so simple that it could be a page. It's like, what the fuck are you doing thinking you're not good enough? The end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Joe. Hello. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. So and now like, I'm totally up with the whole like-minded group discussion. That's, I'm like, well, I mean, that's what this is all about too. Cause you know, and I guess the question is, is like, why did this book, like the idea of the book appeal to us? And it's pretty easy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, why it appealed to me was this idea of, I don't have a lot of self-love and that's something that I'm really trying to work on this year mm -hmm. and this idea that that can actually impact how I view other people because I have a lot of love for other people I you know have a lot of compassion for other people but I never think about how I can be more compassionate towards others if I'm also compassionate towards myself I can completely so huge. And, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, I, I, um, I had joked about it, like when we chose the book, and I was like, I want when I'm done with this to be able to go on a cover and do just like this. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> Did you tell your husband that? He's like holding you to it now. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because, um, you know, it's like towards the end is when she talks about the cover and she's like, you want me to be what? <laughs> she's this is not her idea. Um, and of course, then the people challenge is like, well, if you're saying that it's perfectly fine to accept it, then, you know, and she's like, I had to face my, my own internal biases of that. I'm not willing to get on a cover like this, then, you know, maybe I have some work to do on myself, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Because that was my first impression of the book, like, oh. <laughs> I leave my books, like, they're under our coffee table, right? And so, like, my books are already, like, the multi-orgasmic woman, like, my books are already pretty crazy. And like my poor nanny has to come into my house and see what I'm reading. And so my husband's like, you're going to leave this one laying around? And I'm like, well, she's already seen like the multi-orgasmic woman. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I'm like, do you want me to put it away? And I'm like, I think the whole point's to not put it away. Yeah. I think it was the whole thing that the interesting aspect of the book from like start to finish was like the, the initial reaction to the cover to like how I felt about it at the end. You don't get the cover on the audio, do you? Mm. <laughs> Black and white on Kindle. <laughs> and, um, well, you know, it's interesting because I think they, she talked a lot about self-love, but it, it didn't, I, you know, the one thing that it doesn't help necessarily is that the continuing, you know, self-sabotage, like the, um, and she mentioned it too, she was, I may not fix all of this. And um, it's, it's a, like a whole um, I guess, complex and ingrained and institutionalized and all these other things too, is that, you know, by just by, and I've seen this too with coaching too, just by being aware of our thoughts doesn't mean we necessarily change them so easily, you know? So I know that I'm not supposed to be shamed in my body and I still was thinking about putting on makeup, fixing my hair before I got on here. <laughs> I didn't well, and so much and like going on that point of like how much we do is because we're worried about what other people are going to think about our bodies. 
mm-hmm. instead of what I actually think about my body? And why isn't that a more important thing than what I think about what other people think about? I think too, just inundated, like constantly, you know, um, she talks about that a lot, you know, the marketing and everything and constantly on my Facebook scroll, it's always things about skin creams and probably purely cause they know what my age is, you know, <laughs> and, um, did hair dyes and whatever, you know, all that stuff. And so you start thinking like, if you see it enough, it starts to become like, Oh, that is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to care about. Yeah. And, and once you see it, once you see the advertising as that, like it becomes, to me, it becomes very disgusting because I'm like, oh, there it is again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like why mm-hmm. do, I can't watch TV with commercials is like the commercials are like, you're just trying to get money. Like that's the job of a commercial. Yeah. I have to say every now and then I think about the abdominal plasty part, put on my pants and, and then I, then I watch you know, like our plastic surgeons do one. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how committed I am to this. <laughs> totally. Even I just think- liposuction, it's disgusting. <laughs> totally. I think about my daughters because my daughters are three and five and they say like the body image stuff kicks in around like seven. And so I'm like, I'm right there. Like I'm, it's going to be right there. And, and they don't have any of that right now. Like they're just running around naked and their underwear's up their butt crack and like mm-hmm. everything's, they're farting at the table. Maybe that part <laughs> doesn't go away. But like to me, I'm like, I, I don't have that in my house yet. And I like just want to protect them. Like I almost don't want to school them because I'm like, they're, they're not getting that here and they're going to get it and they're going to, and it's like coming. Yeah. It may be then, later yeah. boys. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have nine-year-olds who are still at that stage. So like, should celebrate that, right? Yeah. Like the first time my daughter comes home saying her nose isn't good enough, I'm going to melt. I guess it's mm. an opportunity. It'll be an opportunity. It is interesting, like when you have kids um, about how, you know, now you're training them on their thoughts and things like that. That's been pretty interesting because, you know, like my, my daughter, my older daughter, 12 year old, she'll, you know, she wants sugary stuff all the time. And then she's been like sneaking into her room and I'm like, am I, am I creating like this like dysfunctional adult by us trying to restrict different things? Because now she's hiding in her room and things like that. And, you know, how is this going to change her as an adult or be completely ruining her life? <laughs> I find that that's the kind of thing that I'm more aware of these days. The, uh, so my mom, I love my mom. She's absolutely fabulous, but she and I, she cannot watch me put food in my mouth without like making a comment on it. At my wedding, she was saying, you don't really need that second. I was like, like, and so um, I, I hate that. And I call her on it all the time, but I'm doing it now. I have one kid who's a sweet eater, like midnight snacker, and I'm listening to myself become my mother. I'm like, I do not want to do that. And that's, I'm like, but at the same time, I don't want him to like, end up being as messed up about his weight as I am (laughs) about mine, so. Yeah, isn't it ironic? I'm like, I I don't want them to have a dysfunctional relationship with food, so I'm going to create a dysfunctional relationship with food. Well, that was, that was a big struggle for me. And it still is um, because being fat is tied up in so many different things, especially in this country. Right. Because, and she talks about fat shaming and a lot, you know, cause obviously that's one of her big things, you know? Um, and I totally get where she's coming from and it's challenging cause like I, I could care less what my kids look like, but you want to make sure they're healthy. Right. And so being a healthy weight and she even challenges that a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember that she challenges that maybe being fat isn't like, yeah, it might be unhealthy, but that we should still like work with people where they're at. And I understand that. And so that's a challenge for me because, you know, I know that being overweight causes a lot of health problems. Like it's well documented. So how to walk that line of accepting it, but still as a physician and as a parent, trying to have people be healthy, you know, and I don't know, I don't know where that line is. I, it kind of, like, I'd heard that before, but I, I've been really pondering it in the last couple of weeks. So. 
Yeah, I thought the same thing because I was reading it and I'm like, but she doesn't understand because she's not a doctor. Like, I'm like, I have my mm -hmm. whole doctor lens on that I can't take off, right? Yeah. And so I chewed, mm -hmm. I chewed on it for a long time and I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's okay to be in whatever body you're in, but like we have like super-sized double stuff Oreos that are like toxic for us, right? Yeah. We should We should try to stay away from the toxic even though once it's in here, we need to love it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and so I was thinking about that and I was like, what if the medical profession came at people from more love, though? It wouldn't hurt our medical profession. Right. right. And I think so much of our medical profession is like you have a personality flaw because you just can't keep your mouth closed. And that's probably not the right way to be a doctor. And so that's what I took out of it of like, I don't have to be with her 100% because I've got that doctor lens. But she, I don't think she's wrong by saying if we came at everybody from universal love our message would probably be accepted more. That was how, how that was my digesting the book with that topic. Cause it hit me too. Yeah. It's hard to even bring it up. You know, people get very, very defensive. So. And upset. I mean, I've had too many people who are like tearful, but you're, you know, I'm like, be in my 40. I'm like, we got to talk about making you a better surgical candidate. Let's, you know, mm -hmm. 20 pounds. It's going to make a difference, mm -hmm. even though they really need to lose more than that. But I'm like, that's my line in the sand. <laughs> and so I try, but I do feel like the biggest hypocrite when I go home and like have my Cadbury's Easter eggs, you know. <laughs> I will say though, you know, one other thought I had is sugar is not all that much different from alcohol, like in the last book that we read. I mean, that's one of the hugest problems with our obesity epidemic and it's everywhere and it's addictive and it's, I feel like you could write the same thing she wrote about alcohol about sugar. Yeah. <laughs> you should do that. It'll, it, I don't know who's going to buy it though. We're all so addicted to sugar. No, nobody will. It's like super complications though is you know when you talk about the, the whole body self-love thing it's like when you eat this toxic thing is that really loving yourself you know mm -hmm. it's much better than say don't eat that cookie you'll get fat like this is not honoring the temple that is your body mm. <laughs> yeah well i think yeah. the radical self-love is so foreign to so many people that even if you said like your body's a temple they'd be like is it really yeah <laughs> i'm not there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, totally. That's how I feel too. Cause, um, uh, I'm obviously not obese, but I have a lot of other health problems and I hate my body sometimes, you know, and like I have Crohn's and I get migraines and I have muscle issues and stuff like that. And like, I hate it. And so actually this book did book did get me thinking like, can I love it anyway? You know, like, and then what does that change? Like if I love it, it doesn't mean, I guess that I don't stop trying to take care of it, but maybe it just doesn't create so much like anguish, you know? So. Well, I think, you know, the, the whole thing that comes down to me is like, this is the thing in which we exist. Like mm -hmm. it's so incredibly powerful of like, if the body didn't exist, we wouldn't have any of this. Like this really is the tool. Right. And to me, I'm like, that is so amazing. So I'm like, and it's like it doesn't matter if my hands are different sizes or like you know my pelvis is racked after i had my baby it's the tool and it's still this amazing tool yeah when because like, um all of the enough is is marketing and patriarchy <laughs> well i think also i think we learn a lot through our conversations with our kids too like my seven-year-old um, she's eight now but um it was about a year ago and she's like mommy you're your legs are big or no she, she always she always says this like my friends say your legs are big she's you know she'll say like her what her friends think and so i said my legs just let me run a marathon it let me get from here to there and she's like oh i said my legs are strong and then she's like oh okay she seems satisfied with that too but i was like well just trying to let's let's look at what the good they do rather than how they look different than someone else yeah I know when you said the body is a temple, I was thinking, oh, mine's more of a fixer-upper. I love your fixer-upper, right? I mean, like... Under construction. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I think mine is the fixer-upper where the construction keeps getting put off. <laughs> Material's too expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That scarcity of time. Yeah. The union's, but... the union's on strike. Nobody's coming to the site. <laughs> 
Right. But I guess what I was trying to, is that maybe we should love those fixer uppers. Yes. That's what I was just thinking that, well, when you said that, I thought, yeah, you can, we can love a fixer upper. Mm -hmm. And you love it more when you finish fixing it up. (laughs) (laughs) We also might never get there. So I think we talked about that last time because Hollywood Checker brought that up that like you're never done, you know, like it's not really a finish line. So. Right, right. And yeah, we, th- we think about that so much with our bodies, right? When I'm X, then Y. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that actually a, a, is there actually a finish line? No, like you have to keep working out to keep the biceps strong. There's never, there's mm-hmm. never like you're done. Mm-hmm. And we have aging. Yeah, as I say, then it'll throw you another curveball, I guarantee it. <laughs> right. As a, as a physician, though, um, I did struggle with some of the concepts too, like the you know, if you go like on the plane, if the body doesn't fit in the seat, it's the planes, the plane manufacturer's fault. And, and, you know, like as a surgeon, like if the surgery is harder, it's the surgeon's fault. Like, I know. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Going through this much, going this much. I don't, (laughs) you know, I struggled so much with that concept of going like, but it's not someone else's fault because you're making life harder. So it was not feeling a lot of love there. (laughs) <laughs> no, either. I, I was having the same thought. Just it makes everything about it so much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So I, what I was thinking is, it, is it just like maybe where people, it's about not doing it from a place of blame, maybe instead of love, like what Kelly was referring to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like I should have to take that responsibility. I'm kind of with you there, Amy. <laughs> You know. And then, you know, just getting to Joe's point too, is like, if we decide, I don't want to fix your hernia because you're 300 pounds, oh, that surgeon is just body shaming. Right. <laughs> Not so much. Right. Exactly. It's just more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, our burnout book, there's a whole chapter on it where I was like, I'm like reading is going, I can't, I can't look at this, um, of just saying like, the there's no health benefits no one's ever proven any health benefits for obesity i'm like but they really really have <laughs> and i've seen it and um so that part is just you know although you don't want to body shame at the same time you know there are some benefits to not being certain aspects of it but where do you draw that line i guess well and how do you help you because i mean that's the other thing is like i feel like because i do struggle with my weight and what and and what i am doing that I try to approach it from that perspective with these patients, but sometimes, you know, because usually by the time I'm, I'm not, I'm not addressing it with people who look like me, right? Like that's the thing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm addressing it with the people who are way, have way more to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and how to do that without sounding like, you know, the skinny person who I'm got, I'm never the skinny person, right? But that, that doesn't get it. So... I actually think you're the best person for that message. Yeah. I'm curious to see how successful you guys feel like you've been with getting patients to lose weight. So I'm a breast surgeon and I always counsel kind of in the after because we have the surgery and then counsel on, you know, risk reduction with weight loss. And I feel like I've changed how I approach that subject as opposed to just being like, you know, you need to get into a healthy body range, um, start using more terminology like you need to feed yourself out of self-love, out of, you know, healthy, making healthy choices and putting the emphasis more on that. And I'm really curious to see if that's more successful because I feel like the first part was zero success. That nobody, <laughs> <laughs> that nobody would then go on the Mediterranean diet and, and lose weight. And so I'm curious to see if there's a transition now that I'm approaching it with different terminology um, and a more specific plan. I refer a lot of them to Corinne Crabtree because I think she does a really good job about the mind work um, to see if there is a, a change in the success of that. It's hmm. a good thought. Yes, because even like even if I was to say you need to get to a healthy weight, am I not body shaming just in saying healthy? Right, and where what I meant was like uh, good surgical outcome weight or, you know, something like that. But even me just saying you need to get to a healthy weight, I'm denoting that she's not good enough right now. And like the words that I use. And so that's a good point. Just like bringing it up in it, being very careful. I like that good surgical outcome weight. That's like, 
Increase your risk of surgery. There you go. (laughs) You know, I think that uh, like going to Joe's point, um, you know, as someone who has struggled with weight, like lifelong, um, I feel like a little bit more um, easy for me to explain weight to to patients because I could say like, you know, you're not this, you know, it's like, Hey, I've struggled all the time. Let me tell you what works for me. And I I refer to cringe crabtree all the time, but I try to give them something to, um, to look at. You know, one thing I've learned with Katrina, Ubel, and um, Corinne Crabtree stuff is that once you like get into all that, it's never, it's never about the food. So there's no point in emphasizing the food part. And so I tell them, um, you know, I refer them to Corinne Crabtree's Fit and Fat site. It says she lost 100 pounds on her own. So therefore you're making it accessible. You know, so first I kind of identify that I've struggled with this before. The second person, this struggled, this person struggled even more. She's got a $10 million business, so she's doing something right. <laughs> And I, I refer them to the website and I say, she has four steps. Her free programs, four steps. You know, they're not gonna necessarily pick it up. So I said, here are the four steps. One is plan what you're gonna do tomorrow from a, um, a position of, of control. You know, you want to gain your control back because most of them feel out of control. Plan what you do when you're in a position of control. And the second is you do it and you see what happens. You try to stick to it as best you can. And the third part is you reflect from a point of being a scientist and not a judge and say, why did my plan work or why did my plan not work? And then four, make a small change tomorrow. That's not food, that's not counting calories. It acknowledges their struggles um, and it gives them something to, it, it tries to give some of their control back. And I think that's the problem with weight is that you feel out of control. You get these messages that you're out of control, but you don't know how to, to go, especially when, like what Joe said, when you have so much weight to lose and we see huge people, that can be frustrating. Yeah, so we all we all buy into that we should love the body, but we are at our surgeon selves are are and knowing at what point we need to move that self-love to change. Well, I think that what Crin's message is is that we don't we aren't at the weight because we love ourselves. You can love yourself. I tell them that so you have to love the weight off. And Brooks um, had a good, um, Brooke Castillo had a good podcast on the two of weight loss. And that was like the, the message that transformed for me. It's like, you can't hate the weight off. You have to love it off, which means that if you get to this destination, magical destination weight, you're getting there by hating yourself. And so you'll have the number you want. And, and the end result is that you have a number you want and a body that you hate. <laughs> <laughs> It's so powerful. It, the other thing is just how universal it is. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the rare person who's like, oh, I'm good. I have a effing vessel. <laughs> <laughs> My body is yeah. a temple right a now. Temple. Well, and even if it is right now, one of her points was that it won't be forever. So you should get on board. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Yeah, but I think in terms of success, I think it's really the people who you like. It's for me when somebody comes back who's listened, and you're like, "Wow, you are down forty pounds since last year. What did you do?" And then you know, it's never just because I said something. No, it's because you know, like it was a multi-step process. Um, And you know, for us, especially for breast cancer patients, I feel like the YMCA um, Live Strong program has been awesome for some of these people because then it's kind of a support group too. So you've got a a group of people, you know, and I think last year, I think the whole everything going away for COVID really, I, I felt like that was big chunk of therapy that was missing for those folks. Yeah, because I mean, what? Because a lot of people eat out of stress and fear, and and you know, isolation. And what did we do last year? Stress, fear, isolation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know alcohol sales went up by thirty percent during COVID. I haven't seen any really. I, yeah, yeah, massive alcohol consumption increase with COVID. I believe it. Mm-hmm. I believe so it. Gun sales and gun sales. Oh. So, yeah, I didn't see any reports on Oreos, but I would think. Yeah, the same. Probably. Sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Twinkies are a safe bet. Shelf life, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right. You won't starve. <laughs> I see I see a lot of older like I see a lot of like 70 women in their 70s, right? In my practice. And so many of them are just so disempowered and defeated. And like it's mm-hmm. like their weight is just 
they can't, they've got nothing of power in their whole lives, you know? And so it's like, I think is too, it a generational like, thing? Do you guys see that a lot in that older generation? Cause to me, I'm like, is this generational? And like, we're being taught to think different things at Gen X. I don't know. I don't know if you guys see the same thing that I do. Well, I was just thinking, cause my, you know, my mom, um, and so she's older than that. So she is just, she's just over 80, but she, I mean, she was having pelvic floor issues and, you know, people kept telling her, well, these things happen. These things happen. And I'm like, you know, you really should be comfortable walking around. I mean, cause she's an active person and uh, you know, I'm like, no, you need to do something about it. It's not just, it, you know, like, it's not okay to just kind of tell you it's not a problem. If you are not walking because you're, vagina is, you know, your uterus is hanging out of your vagina, you got to do something about that, you know, but the first message is, well, these things happen and you, you know, it's aging and you have to put up with it. I'm like, sometimes that's the main message. And I'm like, oh, totally, totally. Do you think that generation was at those horrible comorbidities? Yes. Do you think that generation was told to just deal with stuff their whole lives? Or do you think that's ageism? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think they were told to deal with stuff their whole lives. Yeah, I think so too. Cause I'm like, I, it's always nice for me to reflect on like how far we've come already, you know? And like, if that generation was just what everybody else said was the rules, their opinion didn't really matter. And then like, we're changing that. And hopefully our generate the generation below us will change that even more. Cause I see that generation and I'm like, my generation doesn't act like that. So, and I stuff, think that generation I will tell you that I think my, that generation is, is getting their voice now. Right. But because they've been told that, you know, my mom is not one to like, just, you know, say yes, sir, no, sir at all. But when it comes to things like that, she was not comfortable saying, no, this is really a problem. I agree. I think some are finding their voice too. Um, and you can kind of tell where they're like, oh, no, no. Like, I, I do a lot of breast surgery too. And, um, you know, we've had one like in her 70s and something about reconstruction. She goes, do you think I should? I was like, yeah, why not? She's okay. And, uh, you know, she was like her mid 70s. No, she brought her mother to, uh, <laughs> to surgery. I was like, there, see, clearly you're not old because <laughs> you still have like okay. a few decades left. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I do try to sit down and say reconstruction is part of cancer treatment. You know, it's not extra or indulgent. I mean, you're allowed to give back what, you know, get back what cancer's trying to take away. So, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think there's anything else. I'm going to use that love the weight off. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, it's all about like, how, you know, when you think about yourself, loving yourself and then in control, you know, and I think that really, you know, when I, because I think that like feeling overweight is like such a lack of control. And then it looks so overwhelming to like, when you look at the advice of what to do, it's so overwhelming. And then like to giving something very accessible of, you know, you could just like love yourself right now. And then each action that you have is like, is this loving myself? You know, like, am I like, is eating this cookie or honoring myself? Well, not really. And why are you doing it? Like get down to, and this is where the whole coaching aspect comes and that's helpful. And I think Corinne Crabtree does such an excellent job of like avoiding the shame of it and saying like, well, of course you're eating that cookie because you're stressed because there's a worldwide pandemic. Now, does that seem like, now does it feel like your problem anymore? It feels like you just haven't quite addressed the problem. And then, you know, asking yourself the question, is this action I'm about to do gonna solve anything? Um, and that's where the control comes in because, you know, like I said, it's never about the food. I get on my pedestal sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I teach a lot of uh, med students and PA students and I was like, there are two things you must be, you must approach with the utmost caution. It's talking about weight and talking about smoking. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's a minefield. You may be better off not mentioning it at all unless you do it right. Right. Yeah. I usually feel the person out and sometimes I don't even mention it because at least that visit, it's not going to, you know, be the right thing. Timing. Timing is definitely everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure.
But I do think that for as surgeons, we have like the biggest carrot <laughs> to be able yeah. to say, I'm not fixing this hernia until you quit smoking. Because I mean, the, the evidence is there. And I mean, I, I think that, yes, they could go down the road and see somebody else and get that hernia fixed. And when it, rec- when it happens again, you know, when it re- recurs, you'll be like, mm, uh, I, that, that's still the right thing to do is to tell them to quit smoking. And if that's, if, you know, 5 million people have told them, but now they really want that hernia fixed. Sometimes that's what they need. Totally. Especially when you frame it in, I want the best outcome for you. Yes. Yes. Like, I also want the best outcome for me, but I'm right. not going to say that part. <laughs> right. Do you, so I, I, I feel people out all the time. And I, you know, the most successful argument for quitting smoking has been, you could see their eyes light up and they're like, tell me more. I said, do you know how much this is costing you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'm like, not, you're going to die. You're going to have more cancer. You know, your heart attack, this and that. It's like, do you know how much this costs you? Like, oh my gosh, yes, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I've had some success there too. I was going to think erections, Amy. <laughs> Ooh. That's actually, that's a really good one too. Cause you know, it's a vessel. I think I saw you all just call the, um, you know, erections like the, um, they're all, all the vessels are the same, so it's like it's like a heart attack in your penis. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, the um, oh, I had like the biggest success story for smoking for a while, um, but it, just what Joe said is the only carrot I had of him was like, I am not going to reverse your colostomy until you quit. Oh smoking. yeah, and he was. Yep. Put, you, I don't even know if it was possible. He were to talk about and he was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. That's like a commitment, like a time commitment. Um, yeah. So I told him, I was like, you're going to have to quit. I don't have, I don't have to do this. I don't have to. Um, I said, like, this is all elective. And the thing is, is that he, he did quit. Um, and he came back to me. He said, do you know, because I told him, I was like, put the money aside that you would. Instead of buying cigarettes, put the money in a jar. And he said, by the end of the year, he was going to be able to buy a car. Yeah. <laughs> a car. Car. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I use his example all the time. I was like, you know, I made this guy quit and he's going to buy a car at the end of the year. So think of what this is costing you. This is costing you a car a year. Anyway, he, he went back to smoking. I saw him later. Yeah, I was going to say, I had a great, he quit smoking because he wanted his ostomy reversed. And then uh, he gained 30 pounds. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Uh, Which means you never dopamine. solve the problem. Uh, yeah. It's the dopamine. Yeah. I'm, yeah. To me, like, I'm solidly addicted to sugar. And mm-hmm. I can't, I can't think about, like, Nar- uh, nicotine and the other illegal drugs because I'm like, if that's way more than sugar, God help anybody who's trying to get off that stuff. It is tough. Mm-hmm. I think sugar's probably more so. You think we are so? being misled because uh, the industrial. I, I've been re- read a couple of books about the food industry. There's a guy that's like an insider in the food industry, and he's yeah. like, oh, no, no, they're very aware of the dopamine surge and the addictive potential. They're relying on it. They're relying mm-hmm. on your, you know, keep keep coming back feeding from the trough and you know mm-hmm. they, they do it purposefully and mm-hmm. you know, purposely it makes you feel less or you don't mean you don't feel full as often so you come back keep feeding back of the trough um they said no no it's it's it's, it's just such a, a big industrial complex that that's why they're able to hide it totally yeah like big alcohol <laughs> but it's well, socially acceptable so yeah this wasn't a, I was a TEDx talk and it wasn't necessarily a reliable source, but she did say that sugar is like eight times more addictive than cocaine. Um, and I don't know how cocaine compares to nicotine, but that it's pretty damn addictive. So, cause she's talking about her sugar addiction. She said that she would like try to quit it and she was like working in like a pastry shop. And so, you know, obviously that's like an alcoholic working in a bar, but she said she would be embarrassed about it, so she would control herself when she was in public, but then sometimes she would actually, she was so addicted, she would actually take the pie, like, out of the garbage and eat it, like, when nobody was looking. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the TEDx talk, but that was kind of eye-opening, you know? So, so anyway, but what I, that kind of feeds into 
a lot of weight loss, a ton of it is the mindset, but some of it is just, I think we've been duped. Like I think carbs and sugar are actually a, a reason we're super obese. Cause like, so I've lived this too. I've, I've definitely been way heavier than I am. And, um, it wasn't until I bought into that carbs and sugar were the problem that I was ever successful at losing weight. You know, I could eat very little, I could exercise, I could do everything, but it wasn't until I controlled that insulin response and that addiction that I made any sort of success. So. Yeah. Actually, that's really interesting you say that because, you know, that's one thing that was completely missing from the book is that we are fat because of the insulin surges from simple carbohydrates and things like that too. And that mm -hmm. we are being misled just like the beauty industry, but a little bit more, you know, um, like under the radar. Um, yeah. And that, you know, if you focus on that message, so that's one thing that's missing. If you focus on the message that we are being misled by an addictive um, thing that is, that is causing us to be unhealthy. Um, and then going back to the whole message of honoring yourself is avoiding this addictive, you know, proven to, to cause problems substance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want the solution because I need it. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely think she would not put that in her book because it goes against the being okay with how you are thing. And to me, I'm like, okay, so what if we, what if we have somebody who's morbidly obese or something and they like have massive self-love? They're like, this is a vessel. Like, I'm super good. I'm fine with two pizzas a day because I'm feeding my vessel. Is it that they're, they have radical self-love in the face of harming themselves? Or would we call them delusional? Or would we be like, great, you love yourself. Everybody strives for that. The two pizzas is probably still not good for you. Well, I, yeah. And so I guess what it comes down to is it's a choice and we want to promote that whole love where you're at. But then people have to acknowledge that there are health risks to that, right? It's like, you have to accept the consequences too. And so if yes, you want to be here for a shorter amount of time and not see your kids grow up and you know, because, and then I actually, there's a problem with that too, because as my husband will point out, some of the patients who carry extra weight actually do better on dialysis than the people who come in looking healthier, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's an awful lot of people who have like kind of a starfish uh, habitus who, you know, they exceed the five years on dialysis average. So I don't know. I think. It's interesting. I just kind of had, like, I think a breakthrough about this, this book. Um, I think what was missing is that this whole, you know, I, and it, it kind of dovetails to the last book that we had is that we're kind of, you know, we're blaming the addict, you know, by body shaming, you're blaming the addict when really the problem is these, this, um, addiction to these substances that are being manipulated by the food industrial complex to be more addicting. But, and, and so she's right not to blame the victim, but I think she missed the point of how we got to be victims in the first place. You know, she focused, and, and maybe it's just the lack of science background because, you know, she blamed like the wrinkle cream for the wrinkles and this and that, and, and you know, the makeup for looking better. Um, but missing the point of it's the the food industry that leads to, to, to being the victim of some aspects of that when we don't understand the science and they do and they're using it to manipulate us. Yeah, and it's, it's not all about overweight. There are plenty of women who are underweight because of mm -hmm. body shaming, societal yeah. expectations, mm -hmm. all of right. that. And, and there's plenty of data that underweight is not good for outcomes either. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's even worse, right? Those are the worst, you know, you're like, okay, the surgery mm -hmm. will be easy, but the patient won't do well. Right. So, you know, like yeah. I would rather struggle and have the patient do well, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I have also been very, very skinny, like, and I almost felt, well, the reason I was skinny is because my Crohn's was flaring. So that's probably why I felt like crap, but, but I, um, terrible diet plan. I didn't feel good either. Like, I and, don't you want know, that one. Thanks. You look at people and, and when they're really skinny, that's not good either, you know, because you know they're just not getting what they need. But so. they might be getting more of societal's rewards. Yep. Mm -hmm. For sure. But there is like, um, there is, and I, I think part of, you know, we got really hung up on the obese thing, I think, because we're all physicians. And it was a big part of her, her message. 
But both books, actually, the alcohol one and this one, do talk a lot about self-love because that was one of Holly Whittaker's main messages, too, is that she just couldn't be alone with herself. And that's why she relied on the addiction. Mm-hmm. So that book is so good. It was really good. Yeah. I follow Holly on uh, Instagram now, and I, I take a lot of her quotes and stuff. Yeah. That's good. I guess, you know, it's interesting because like with the prevalence of the um, oh, I'm trying to, intermittent fasting, um, it was interesting. There's one of these groups, um, I think physicians weigh-ins or whatever, where like they were kind of taking an extreme. Some of them were like, you know, week-long fasts and stuff. And I said, or is that extreme? I don't know. Maybe I'm just judging. Um, but I was like, really? <laughs> Leave it to doctors. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Anything you can do, I can do better. All those types personalities yeah. <laughs> but um on that physician um weighing group uh this was a couple years ago um i posted um like you know you've seen like the the ct scan scout images right you know where you have like a little person and the big person yes. body yes. and yes. i was like doesn't this just speak volumes about this oh i was eviscerated eviscerated for body shaming like 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 i was the worst person in the entire world um, I mean, it was really interesting. I was like, these are doctors and it's just science and there's it's a skeleton and there's this. And, right. <laughs> but, um, but you know, same- I think that you might be right though. The, you know, I was just going back and checking myself here for, cause I, I'm, I'm always bringing up the weight. Um, but, you know, starting from the whole affirm the patient and all of the things they have going on and, you know, how well they're coping with all this bad news that I'm dealing with, you know, giving them and then, you know, like bring it to the whole you're doing, you know, you're doing so great and awesome. And let's like work with our risk reduction stuff here so that, you know, so keep it a kind of the whole be supportive first and affirming. I don't think I do that often enough. Yeah, I don't think we get taught that. I mean, I think we no. we get taught of like come at it from a health standpoint, which can be shaming. Yes, because mm-hmm. you don't fit what's what's needed or what's good, right? Like I wasn't taught like ask your patients about self love, like my chronic pain patients, right? Mm-hmm. If I ask them how much self love they have, because now I now I do these things, right? It's like there's no self love in the chronic pain world. Totally. And like, and what would more of that look like in the chronic pain world? Mm-hmm. Also, you know, it's interesting with, you know, we're actually teachers, like we're physicians, but really what do we do is we teach. And in the education world, that is so important. They constantly are telling them to first tell their student what they do right. That's what makes a good teacher. You know, like, and I hear my son's piano teacher do that all the time. She always points out first what he did well when he played a piece. And then she goes over the few things that he could do better. And that's mm-hmm. probably what we should do. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not sure. I- <laughs> so. Sometimes it's acknowledging their, their pain and suffering and their loss of control. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I, do that a little, I would do that a lot with, I struggle with this too. You know, I, the, and you sort of like bring them in and, and just like Joe was saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want you to have a good outcome, you know, things like that, you know, coming at it from a, a point of, of love and acceptance and acknowledging their struggles is probably the the way um, to let them know that we're a trusted source, that we're not here to just say, you're doing it wrong and we're going to ask you to do hard things and this and that, you know, we're doing this because we struggle with this and because we want you to do better. Um, I think that that helps to some degree. So I'm in the book, but I, and I'm in pajamas. Um, I just, I'm a paid surgeon, so I don't deal with this a lot, but yesterday I did. I had like a hundred kilo 13 year old for appendicitis. And um, I was like, what am I going to tell them tomorrow? Like she's going to be around cause she perforated. And I'm like, it's so, you know, it's so unhealthy. Um, but when you were just talking about like affirming, you know, I don't know if in the life coach school, but in well coaching, they talk about, you know, opening your sessions with like, what's going good. So then they're in like a positive space for creativity and that they can come up with those, their own like kind of solutions, right. To their problems, as opposed to like just a whole bunch of bad stuff, right? Like you have this, you have that, this is dangerous, you know? And, and I think that maybe that's, 
probably something that could be helpful is if, you know, tell me a good story and then like get into the harder stuff. So then they at least are like, oh, look, I got to share something positive with someone who's, you know, like started off positive because it's not all going to be super positive. Might be a helpful way to get them thinking like, okay, they really care about me and they're interested in like the good and the bad, not just like how how are we going to fix whatever problem it is and how, how am I making this harder for them? And, and that sort of point. It's, it's a great point because like, why, you know, how do people feel coming to a doctor's office or a hospital? They're not like, Oh, yay. They're right. going to tell them all the wonderful things. They're worried. <laughs> like they're all scared. You're going to tell them like the worst things possible. And then, and then if you're talking to them, like I said, I don't, I don't do, I don't have obese patients usually. And if I do, it's like super short. Like they just have appendicitis. And then. But you have, a, I'm sure you have obese patients too. You know, you're probably looking, or like parents, parents, I mean. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I do. And it's hard to not look at them and say, their kid's next. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I do have an obese, reflecting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a sad, sedentary lifestyle I sometimes see. Um, and it's just so brief. Like, I have hernias, right? And, like, kids that, they move so much usually that when you see one that's overweight, it's like, oh, outlier. You know, like, what's going on there and what's the future for you? So I'm glad that there are some pediatricians who are really getting interested in family coaching for overweight families and stuff. Not that that's going to be like, I don't necessarily think I'm going to be a pipeline for that, but I just, just had this two hour Abby yesterday. That was just horrible. Mm -hmm. And her, and she like, didn't, she couldn't accept our usual ports. And those are the ports I've used for the last five years. And I was like, they couldn't find the port that I wanted. So then they just brought me the adult port and I was like, oh man, I need to just do this for it's not often, but when it happens, it is not fun. And I like peds because they're small <laughs> and because, <it's, laughs> because I don't have to deal with like, like you said, a small skeleton and then like inches of fat to put ports through and, and like clothes, the fascia. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, this, this is where I shut down with a book when they say like, you know, that's not the patient's fault. That's the surgeon's fault. And that's the port manufacturer's fault. And that's <laughs> and like, Oh, I like the idea of radical self-love for others, right? Of having it for others is like, I, I love you. I just don't like your behavior right now. Like to, that <laughs> is such a, <laughs> what's that? Sorry, I said that to my children before. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it turns it for me. Cause it's like, I still get to have love for the, all the humans but I don't need to agree with what's happening, but it doesn't mean you're bad or you're anti me or you're on the other side. Cause there's so much like dis divisiveness in our country right now, right? You're either on our side or you're not on our side. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's not, that's not ending well. Instead of like, we're all humans trying to have this experience. I might disagree with what you're saying, but i still can love you. That's radical. Mm -hmm. Did the book talk about like the, I heard someone say like the beauty industry and I was mm -hmm. curious to know like, <laughs> okay, so this may not be a popular, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like I, I, I don't like surgery unless like absolutely indicated to fix a problem. So I'm like kind of, I don't like injections or needles or things like that. So I know this might be like super, you guys, someone might be triggered or offended, but um, like I was thinking about that. But I do like putting makeup on. It's like putting art on my face. But then I was like, am I a hypocrite? Like if I like to put eyeshadow and lipstick on, but I'm like resistant to like Botox injections and whatever else everyone else is talking about to, I don't know, make their faces look younger. I think so I don't she, know if the book like did any of that stuff. She did. She talked about like how she's like, I'll make up, I'll do a little makeup like this, you know, when I feel like it. I, I think it really has to do with like, do you like your reasons for doing it? Right. Your intention. Yeah. Like if you're doing it for art or are you doing it because everybody thinks you should look younger? No. Oh, I do, it to look, I do it to look older, actually. Because I look like a <laughs> um, So like when I wear makeup, I feel like I, I actually like lipstick. <laughs> but um, 
you know, I felt like, am I being a hypocrite? Like hating on the Botox, not hating, but just like, ah, Botox, like unnecessary needles in your face. That doesn't sound safe, but it is. I mean, like lots of people do it. Yeah, I guess you're probably right. Yeah, I think it's changing where you come from. Like, I think it's okay if people want to decorate themselves if it's from a place of self-love. If it's because you feel like you have to get that wrinkle cream and and do facelift and, you know, just because that's what everybody else is expecting of you Mm -hmm. and not from self-love. And it's easy to fall into that trap, you know, and maybe even get confused about it. The inevitability of getting older is so fascinating to me because it's like our only option is death, right? Right. If we're not getting older, (laughs) it's death. It's get older or death. Yeah, we have two options. But it's like all of the marketing is like youth, 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 youth. And it's like like the emperor's not wearing clothes. (laughs) Does anybody notice like the emperor's (laughs) naked? I feel like that little seven-year-old, like all we're doing is getting older. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a, to be celebrated because otherwise we're dead. <laughs> right. Good point. But yeah, to me, it's like, it's, once you see it, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, we should be like, oh, congratulations, you made it to 75. You know? It's amazing. <laughs> and in, some cult- in some cultures, <laughs> they do honor their elders. And in our culture, we honor flawless skin, mm-hmm. which 75-year-olds don't have. Because they've had so much sun. It's amazing. (laughs) Speaking of understanding the message, um, I saw this great one was talking about, um, you know, menopause um, and things like that. So the initial message was, you know, you've completed your your childbearing years and now you're in a place of honor and all of these symptoms are just the natural progress of your amazing womanhood and things like that. And then the hormone manufacturers are like, oh, no, do you think your husband wants to be around your irritable, bitchy self? (laughs) Do you want all this? You know, it's it's interesting because they like layered on the guilt just to get them onto the the hormone medication stuff too. It was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super interested in in the whole menopause and the message for that reason. And so, and there's so much shooting going on, right? You should, you should go be natural. You should get on hormones. There's so much shooting and it's like, it's, it's very interesting, especially as we're swinging more towards hormones now after 20 years of like having women suffer by taking them off of the hormones. Yeah. It's a fascinating, menopause and what women should do is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to change the subject a little bit because the other thing that kind of hit me, and maybe this is my naivety, but um, when she said like, it's not about not seeing differences. Like it's not about not seeing that they're black. It's about seeing that, but accepting it anyway, you know? Cause people will be like, oh, I didn't even, you know, I don't even notice that they're black. I don't even notice, you know? And they're, I think they're trying to do that from a place of like not being racist, but she says that like that doesn't fix the problem. We need to realize that people are different, but we're still all like lovable anyway. And, and, so. I think about that in my, like my generation, because do you remember when we saw no color? Like that was a thing. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. pendulum is, so we were taught there was no color and now we're kind of seeing the like, well, that didn't seem to work out very well. Let's try to see color now. But I'm like, mm-hmm. when you become a certain age, you remember the phases of all mm-hmm. of this. Yeah, I remember that. That's why I, it was like, oh, okay. So that's not right anymore. <laughs> I feel like I, I still have not like brought to my awareness to see gender, which this is stupid. I'm in like a whole bunch of women groups, right? Like, and I'm super about like women empowerment, but it wasn't only, and I still kind of forget all the time, right? Like I'm in a male dominated field. I'm surrounded by men all the time. Like yesterday in my OR, it was me and like everybody was a man, but I didn't feel like, I didn't feel different. I don't know. I don't know if it translates to that, but I was always just like, everybody is people, which is like that whole, I don't see color thing. Like I really kind of don't see gender unless it's like, and it's not gender. Like I don't blame it on my toxic manager that I was working under as like, that's a man problem. No, it's like, that's a broken human problem. It could be a woman or it could be a man. It just happens to be a man. So I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on that, but I just, I feel like more and more I see gender. 
<laughs> I'm like, cause I'm like, okay, why are you asking me to change my OR schedule? Cause I'm the only woman on the roster right now. And it's, it's not because there, it's not cause I'm a woman. It's cause I'm going to be nice about it. Right. Mm-hmm. But why am I nice about it? You know, like if I look at the number, you know, like we all get like, that's still part of what we do. It's like, you mm-hmm. will be nice. Um, and so if it's not me, it's going to be, you know, Alyssa Stevenson, who's also a woman mm-hmm. and also we're nice. Right. So, but, uh, but that's wrong then because I'm always the one making that, that, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to stop being nice, but I need there to be some sort of fairness. <laughs> I have not read this book, but I'm in um, a different group called The Love Group, and the book that they were reading was called Not Nice, and it was about boundaries, and um, like, it's not your it's not your job to be nice, really. It's your job to do whatever you, you want. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and, I'll tell you what, I come from that whole, like, uh, if I'm going to do the whole radical self-love thing, I, I like being nice. Right. I just want everyone else to be nice too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think like that came up for me and I noticed it was um, a rubbing against of whenever I was people pleasing nice, which is what that book is like more about, which is what I, I'm usually my total self everywhere except at work. And so I was, I've realized that that was happening and people like whoever I've been talking to is like, it's not your job for them to think that you're nice, you know? And if it's, if you're doing something with that intent and then you don't get that result, of course you're going to be like frustrated, irritated. And so I think it was just interesting about like, you're not in, you're not responsible for their interpretations of you. Right. And so then that, it's like, is it your job for them to feel like you're nice? And I was like, well, I guess not. But like, and in our training, and I'm sure all of you experienced this, and this was one spot where I saw like a different treatment by women to women, right? Like the man just says, do this thing. And the nurses just do it. And you say the exact same words and you're like condemned. <laughs> and like, and that just reinforced that whole like, you need people to think you're nice so they'll work nicely and they'll blah 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 whatever and it just so ingrained that like rubbing against of like this is not who i am and this altering myself to make them feel more comfortable is is like taxing on my brain (laughs) isn't it it's like it's your it's the reason that you're being the way you are you know if you're being nice because you feel like you have to be nice then you're not being your true and authentic self Right. I went through a period of being like mean and hostile because that's how we rolled. Um, and it didn't, I didn't wear it well, you know what I mean? And so then I just turned to be nice and I was okay with being nice. And being nice doesn't mean you can't call people out on it. You know, mm-hmm. being nice doesn't mean you roll over. Just being nice means you're respectful for other people. And if they give them the OR time, like, hey, nice girl over here. That sucks. Let's fix it. <laughs> I think it's okay. It's okay to call people out. I think when you're nice because you're afraid of someone, you know, what they think of you is the problem. Yeah, that would people I care about how I feel about me. You know, that's that's a difference for me. I do it because I can respect myself when I do that. Um, but some people are nice because they're worried about how other people are going to think of them. Awesome, you guys. That's an hour. This was Thanks a lot of fun, guys. Club. Yeah. Um, next month, it's up on my shelf. Uh, I I don't know what her real name is. Ozo wanted to do it, or she brought up mm. the book. I'll post it today. Is that um, the Unbound? Yeah. Unbound. 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 Wasn't posted. Wasn't that it? The one with the um. Yeah. Apparently, by... the author is a former like dominatrix. Yes. Yeah. That's. Mm-hmm. So she will teach us lots about power. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Awesome. <laughs> Nice to spend time with you guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See you. Thank you. Thank you.